money is actually not evil and money is not bad at all. It's really just what you do with it. That's true. And we need to be the sort of people who give money a good name. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode because Donald Miller is back on the show and he's such a good person and he has so much good stuff to share. So I'm looking forward to diving in. Before we do, I just want to let you know that I am doing a retreat this summer. It's going to be in Florida at the end of June. It's three days. If you want to check it out, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. It is uh, going to be pretty amazing. We spend three days together really uh, unpacking and really being able to chart a course into what feels like the life that you really, really, truly came here to live. It's called the Limitless Retreat. There's going to be meditation, sound bath. There's going to be lots of really cool exercises and tools and conversations to help you step into this place where you feel unstuck and you just feel this capacity for love and creativity and abundance just fill you up. And it starts to change your reality. So if you'd like to grab your spot, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. Well, today is a cool day because Donald Miller is back. He is the CEO of StoryBrand and Business Made Simple, a business educator, New York Times bestselling author, and he's a podcast host. His show is also called Business Made Simple. He's written some amazing books like Scary Clothes, Business Made Simple, Building a Story Brand, Hero on a Mission. And this week, he has another great book coming out. It's called How to Grow Your Small Business, a Six-Step Plan to Help Your Business Take Off. And in this book, he shares the exact roadmap that he used to grow his business 
from four employees working out of a basement to a $15 million operation. We're going to talk about some of the really valuable nuggets from the book, like the most common mistakes that small businesses make, the perfect formula for closing a sale, and just so much more. He's packed a ton of helpful tools in here, so make sure that you get a copy. And listen to his podcast, Business Made Simple with Donald Miller. He coaches you there on how to build your business and optimize all the essential pieces like leadership, overhead, marketing, sales, products, and cash flow so that things can really take off. It's such a pleasure to have Donald on for a second time. He's extremely lovable, down to earth. He's such a great soul with so much knowledge when it comes to business. I know you're going to be a huge fan of this if you aren't already, so you're going to learn a lot. Get your pens ready to take some notes. Without further ado, please welcome the awesome Donald Miller. Donald Miller, I'm so happy that you are back. I made my whole team read your book and I want to just tell you how much of a fan of yours I am. I know I told you this when you were here the last time, but I want to bring my whole audience up to speed. I didn't only know you from your business books, and I knew that you had written beautiful books before you were in the quote unquote space of helping entrepreneurs, but I went to Onsite and I read your book, Scary Close, coming home from Onsite and bawled my eyes out. And literally that book, whatever I was learning in my experience at Onsite, which I can talk about on a different episode in detail. It was that book that actually delivered it. It like, wow. It was, it was that book <laughs> where you talked about and you described how love is not earned. And I said, oh my God, that's what I came to Onsite to learn. And only flying home because I got your book in their bookstore, did I actually realize what I went there to learn. So you don't realize how much I really value you and know you. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. that. I mean, that's probably one of the kindest things anybody has ever said, because I got so much out of Onsite. And it's true, you know, at Onsite, the listeners may not know what we're talking about. We're talking about a therapeutic retreat center where yeah, they, they do experiential <laughs> therapy. I, you don't just sit and talk to a therapist you like go out and guide a horse around a pen and you did, you're using it's your amazing. hands, you're, you're creating like, you know, sculptures of your family and, you know, just weird stuff that unlocks things. And I had a great experience there and was able to figure out some stuff that I just hadn't been able to figure out in my own life. And so to be lumped in with some of the best therapists in the world, helping you figure some stuff out means a lot to me. That's amazing. Oh, it's I'm so glad that I could share that with you. And we've had Miles Adcox on the show and we've had Bob Goff on the show. And I'm so glad that I went to Onsite. I went kicking and screaming, but it gave me back so much of my life. But truly, I'm not overstating it. Your book, as it was all sort of a blur, this big experience, and I was trying to integrate it, it was your book. It was your experience. It was your profound way of communication that actually handed, it was like message received. And I will never forget that experience. And I always tie you to that experience, even though you were not there with me, <laughs> but your words there. were. At some point I was there because the whole book is, oh, not the whole book, but a lot of books about my experience there. I'm glad. I love that we just set that up before we're about to have a class about business because business, <laughs> as Seth Godin taught me, business is people. Business is relationships. Yeah. And so yeah. it is no wonder to me that you are so good at business because you are so good at humanity. You love people. You're willing to look at yourself. And it's why you get it because it's all empathy at the end of the day. It's all that. So 
Now with that, we're going to have a conversation about your new book that is coming out March 14th, how to grow your small business, a six-step plan to help your business take off. And I think that my audience, which is mostly women between the ages of 30 and 40, are probably very much leaning in right now because of what we just said, because that's the context to the person who's now talking about how to start a business. And you've written so many books about business. Why did you want to write another book? Why did you want to write this book? The genesis of the book goes all the way back about 10 years ago when I was a writer and a speaker. And Kathy, that's all I did. I wrote books, took me about two years to get a book out. And then I would go speak and get an honorarium for that. And that's all I did. And that was enough for me to pay off my house. And I paid off my house. And then I wanted a different house. There was a different house for sale. And I wanted that house. And so I sold my house, grabbed the money. And the other house that I wanted to buy was sold out from under me. So I'm <sighs> sitting on a pile of cash. And I thought, well, I'll put this money into a little six-month investment that me and some friends were kind of working on. And in six months, maybe I'll make thirty or forty thousand more dollars. You know, instead of putting it in a savings account. And and as soon as I find my house, I'll be able to afford it. And I lost the entire thing, all of it. Oh my God. And I woke up. That was 10 to 15 years of saving. I, oh my I had God. a book on the New York Times bestsellers list for 42 weeks. Every dollar went to pay off my house. And as a That's guy who grew up poor, I kind of subscribed to the narrative. I won the lottery with that book. I really will never have another chance. And I just lost it all. Kath, your listeners will appreciate this. That was the same like two or three week period where I started dating the woman who had become my wife. <laughs> now, I don't want to get into trouble here, but, you know, the general consensus in my mind is that women have some things that they like. You know, they, they like good looks. They like competency. It's nice if you have a little money. I only had one of those things and I lost it all. <laughs> so I was, I was an effectively an emasculated man who started dating the woman that I love. And by the way, I'm now married to because she could care less how much money I make. And that was the genesis. And so, you know, sitting there, laying there in bed, it was a Monday morning. I read the report and we were done. And it took me, there was five or six days of denial. And then oh there was you know, all the hard stuff about that. And then I realized, okay, I said to myself, this can either be the thing that brings you down, or you can look back 10 years from now and you can say, that was the best day of my life in terms hmm. of my career, because that's the day you learned a lesson. Now, the question that I had was, okay, well, it's up to me to figure out the lesson. And slowly looking back, I don't know if I figured out the lesson right away, but the lesson was you're going to have to take responsibility for your career. You're not going to be able to trust agents and business managers and the creative process. You have to own it. And I made the decision at that point to go from a speaker who relied on a speaker's bureau to get me booked and a writer who relied on the creative process and a writer who got paid relying on agents to know I'm the owner of a company, that company is me. And that's the point where I start, I became an entrepreneur for real at that point. 10 years later, 10 years later, I have a business in a space that I never imagined, <laughs> small business coaching and business consulting, never possibly in that, at that point could have imagined I would be anywhere near that space. And it's $17 million and employs 30 people with a 50% profit margin. This book 
are the six things I did right to get from crying myself to sleep to that $17 million company. Now, I did 572 things wrong, but who's counting? <laughs> and I did six things right. So this book is about the, let's not, <laughs> let's, let's pretend the 572 things didn't happen. The six things that happened that I got right. And I'm convinced that these are the things that you've got to understand how to do if you want your business to grow. Now, today, my beautiful wife and our 19 month old daughter, Emmeline, we give away as much or more to charities every year than I lost on that morning. Aww. And that to me, whew, yeah, it's partly a story about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you can do it. I don't feel that way as I mm -hmm. look back on my story. The one word that comes to me is grace. Mm. You know, you were an idiot and you got another shot. <laughs> <laughs> this is and unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you have so many good stories and that one I never knew. And it's so big. And we had Dr. James Doty here and he wrote this book, Into the Magic Shop. And he happens to be a neurosurgeon and a professor at Stanford. And he's working with the Dalai Lama now on mm. looking people at- just underachieve, you know? I know. <laughs> and he's working with the Dalai Lama now on looking at how compassion and altruism actually affects the patient's yeah. recovery. But the reason I brought him up is because he said he has learned a few things about magic, right? What really makes things happen. And he said, if you want to quote unquote manifest, that's the word the kids are using these days, right? make it about other people yeah, because that will work. And I love, because we started with a conversation about how you showed up in my life in a season where I really needed a, a hand held to take me across the ocean. And it's no wonder to me that you just got teared up. And it's no wonder that you're successful because I've seen your wife and your daughter, beautiful daughter in your stories and Instagram, but there's such an unwavering part of you that is so genuine in wanting to pay it forward. Just the way you speak to people, your presence, your humility, that is so beautiful and that I want people to hear it. That is why you can quote unquote manifest. That is why you can build things because there's a really important purpose to where it's headed. So let's dive in because these six things, I mean, I'm looking a little bit about the notes I took on your book and there's so much in it that you guys have to get it. We'll put the link in the show notes and you have to get it, but let's just start to, to see if we can bite a little bit out of this apple. You know, the first thing you talk about is how to not join the 25% of small businesses that fail in the first year. Wow. <laughs> I want to just well, kind of- Or the 45% that fail in the first five or the 65% that fail in the first 10. Okay. So what are they doing wrong? <laughs> they're doing one of six things wrong. For the most part, they're doing one of six things wrong. One is their leadership and the vision that they're casting does not include economic objectives. And a lot of us, a lot of us don't want the business to be about money. We want the business to be about a mission. We want the business to be about others. We want the business to be about this. It also has to be economic. You also have to say, we're going to do this and it's going to be sustainable. And you don't have to pay yourself anything. Give all the money away if you want. But when you actually take your eye off of the fuel gauge, and you don't really realize you've got to keep putting gasoline in this engine in order for it to run. And gasoline is cash in the business world. 
you have a serious uh, problem heading towards you. The bottom line at the end of your profit and loss statement, that bottom line number is your scoreboard. And you know whether you're winning or losing based on whether that thing is high or low. So what I recommend in the book is that you actually have three economic objectives. You figure out the three dominant ways that you're bringing revenue into this small business and you focus on those. Now, you may have five, six or seven, but the human mind has a limitation. It can really only prioritize three things. Okay. So I only, I only give you three things, not because your, your business can't have three. It's because your mind will literally not prioritize more than three things. So, so that's the very first thing. The next thing is your marketing. And you don't have to spend a whole lot of money on marketing, but you have to have a very clear message. And if you don't have a clear message, and I summarize how to clarify your marketing message in the book. The next thing is sales. And almost everybody listening to me hates sales. They don't want to be a salesperson. They don't want to sell. And so I give you a formula in the book, which you can use to write just one thing, just a follow-up email after you talk to a customer. And the formula, I'll give you the formula right now. The formula is start with the problem the customer has. Don't start with your problem. Start with their problem. Think about them. Position your product as the solution to that problem. Give them a three-step plan on how to buy that product. Talk about the negative stakes that will happen if they don't buy it. Talk about the positive stakes that will happen if they do. And finally, in the last sentence, just ask them to buy. If you do those five things in that order, you will close sales. Now, I was just in a room with 200 sales reps for a company. You know, I don't like to beat around the bush and talk about philosophy. I said, raise your hand if there's a customer that's on the sitting the fence and you haven't been able to convince them to buy. 200 hands went up. I said, open up your computers. <laughs> We're going to do this right now in the room. And I said, identify their problem. Position your product and solution. We took an hour. People wrote their emails. And then I said, hit send. By the next day, we closed $2.4 million. Yes! That's what I want to hear. It's so good. And the, and the reason is not Yeah, but the reason isn't because we coerced them or we manipulated them. The reason is we made it extremely clear clarity. why you should buy this product and clarity wins. So you've got to get your marketing right. You've got to get your sales right. As your company grows, you're going to have to manage your overhead, which means you're going to manage people. Kathy, nobody starts a business to run a business. <laughs> Okay. Nobody, not a single person in the history of the world has started a business because they want to run a business. They started a business because they love the product. They started a business because they love people. They started a business because somebody came to them and said, can you help me with this? And they realized it was lucrative. They started a business because they wanted financial freedom. Nobody starts a business because they want to run a business. What happens if the business takes oh, off boy. is they find themselves running a business. <laughs> and running a business is mostly about managing people. And nobody ever teaches us to do that. Nope. So I, ha I have a chapter in the book on how to run your entire small business using only five meetings. And if you use these five meetings, everybody will know what they're supposed to do. Everybody knows their priorities. You know your three economic objectives and what everybody's doing is serving those economic objectives and you're going to win. And then finally, the last part of the book, I talk about how to manage your money. And I am a, I'm a creative artist. Yeah. Uh, I know how to make money. <laughs> I don't want to manage it. And I don't like profit and loss. If I understand them, I don't know how they help me make decisions. <laughs> I use five checking accounts to run my small business. And my guess is your listeners are going to want to hear this for the rest of our time. But, you know, the five checking accounts are my operating account, my personal checking account, my tax account, my business profit account, and my investment holding account. <laughs> and those checking accounts flow in and out of each other based on a few criteria. 
so that any point in time I can look and I can see how much money the business has, how much money I have, how much money the government is going to take from me, how much money is in our rainy day fund, and how much money I have in an investment holding account that I can use to go buy investments that make me money without working. And it all happens flawlessly. And uh, that's the part of the book that's all about, you know, how to manage your money when you make it. I mean, I feel like I just got an IV drip and I was dehydrated, except that instead of being dehydrated, I was like depleted of nourishment and clarity in my brain. And now I just feel like a a medicine just came, just like this healing ointment just fills me. I'm not joking. I'm sitting here and I'm like, thank you for this. For anybody who's listening, I'm going to put links also to his other books, but I want you to buy this one because what I realize about this book is you summarize my favorite parts of a lot of your other books <laughs> into this book, which are for people who have very little attention um, or who get overwhelmed really quickly. This is incredible because I have everyone on my team read StoryBrand. It's so freaking good, but you talk about it in this book. You talk about clarifying your message and that is a really fair place to start, especially when someone, a lot of our, our listeners, they're just starting, right? They're just starting, Donald. They don't need to master the whole story brand in the second, but they should read it anyway, but they should just get some clarity on communicating the message. You talked first though. I want to ask you about this. You talked about people don't always want to be, you know, outward or, or even admit to themselves like this thing about making money, right. And how a business needs to make money. And that's true. The difference between a hobby and a business is there's some economics involved, a business, there's, there's money trading hands. Somebody pays you, they need or want what you're doing. But I wonder when you say that in the end, you know, they, they look and they're not necessarily making revenue. What is that about? Is that because they're not clear about the fact that they want to make money or is that they're apologizing for charging? Like, what do you mean exactly that they're not focused on revenue? What do you mean? Money gets a bad name in our yeah. culture. Because so many people use money to do bad things. That's true. You know, they use money selfishly. They take the lion's share when that money really came off the back of somebody else. And so what I always say is that money is actually not evil and money is not bad at all. It's really just what you do with it. That's true. And we need to be the sort of people who give money a good name. Now, when we actually say, no, I'm not going to be about money, what we're actually saying is I'm not going to be about money. Therefore, let's give all the money to people who are bad. No, you go out and make the money and do something really good with it. Money itself is not bad. Money is the same as power. And you can use power for good or you can use it for evil. Another reason that we don't like money is because it threatens our social ecosystem. So if I have money, I've got a target on my back. People aren't going to like me. If I drive around a nicer car than them, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever. But listen, if you want to actually really impact the world and build a children's hospital someday, you're going to have to make money and you're going to have to let people just get used to the fact that you are, in fact, a very powerful person and you are very intentional about having an impact. What you want to be is the kind of person that when we say, you know what, couldn't happen to a better person. If there, anybody in this world is going to get rich, I'm glad it was that person. Yeah. Be that person. <laughs> just yeah. be that person. Beautiful. And don't be the person that we don't like who has money. But I think the reality is there is an evil in this world that is worse than wealth. That evil is called poverty. Because when poverty strikes, children can't eat. When poverty strikes, children don't have homes. When poverty strikes, parents are so stressed that they yell at each other right there in front of the child. But poverty is evil. But, you know, somehow we have sort of like 
made poverty this beautiful thing. You know who's making poverty a beautiful thing? People think poverty is a beautiful thing when they come from upper middle class families and they go off to college and they've never actually experienced poverty. They've never experienced the evil of it. But they do, in fact, try to have compassion for those. And they think the people who are bad are the people who have all the money who've taken it from the poor. There is some truth in that. However, what we really need to fight is poverty. And the way you fight poverty is you give people opportunities to make money, right? And one of the most beautiful things about our country, about America, is the middle class is so enormous that, you know, what's true about everybody in the middle class. They don't live in poverty. And if we can make that middle class bigger, poverty shrinks. And not only poverty shrinks, the wealthy are incentivized to reinvest into the middle class. We have got to fight poverty by giving people opportunities to make more money. And when we say, well, money is bad and money is evil, you are contributing to the problem. You are contributing to the problem. Money feeds kids. And we need to be the families who take the initiative, say, we're going to make money. Just don't do evil things with it. Just don't do evil things with it. Oh my gosh. This is literally, we've done 700 episodes. What you just said, I have never heard. And I know I would never wish it on you to, to run for office because who wants that job? No one should want that. But yeah, you, not, not a sane person. No, not a sane person. <laughs> Deepak Chopra said to me, everybody continues to evolve. Unless you run for president, you probably stopped evolving around your age of 12 years old. And we both laughed so hard. Um, little jokes from Deepak. It's always a good day when Deepak tells a joke. But you, what you just said is so refreshing and it makes so much sense. Everything you just said. And of course, if people are in the middle class, they're not in poverty and you right. can be a part of that because you can help well, people make let money. Me, let me tell you where this anti-money thing has gotten us. The middle class was 71% of the population of the United States in about 1967. Today, it's under 60%. So the middle class is shrinking. It's shrinking in the United States of America. And that should concern us. I love what you were saying. Oh my goodness. It is so, so brilliant. So let's, let's move along. One of, I know I've already mentioned it. One of your specialties is storytelling and helping businesses tell their story. And you wrote a whole book on it, but what in this book do you do to clarify a clear message? If you have a business and you know that you're doing it because you like it or it solves somebody's problem, but you haven't even considered what the message is. It kind of feels like, wait, I'm not Walt Disney. Do I have a message? All I do is organize people's homes. What's my message? What is it that people could do to start thinking about that? Well, let me walk you through the sales framework that's in the book. And the sales framework, let's say you're a real estate agent and you've just met with a client and you've done an intake session. What you want to do is you want to go back home and you want to write them an email. And the very first thing you want to say in that email is, Jim, Nancy, Great spending time with you today. I heard you and felt your frustration about there only being one sink in your master bathroom. I don't even know how you're still married. And Jim, when you and I walked around the backyard and you told me the story of not having a fence and walking around the neighborhood in your bathrobe at 2 a.m. looking for the dog, I felt your pain. So what the beautiful thing about, you know, you don't really want to tell your story. You want to invite people into a story in which they are a hero in a hole having all sorts of problems, and you are the guide helping them figure out how to get out of that hole. And it starts with the problem. Then what you're going to do is you're going to position your product as the solution to that problem. The very next paragraph, the very next sentence, you're going to say, I know of at least seven homes that I think are perfect with you. Each of them have two 
sinks in the bathroom. Each of them have a, have a fence that the dog can't get out of. They're in great school districts, blah, 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 blah. Then you want to give them a three-step plan. And the three-step plan exists to decrease cognitive dissonance. Okay, I know that you've got a house for me, but how, you know, that's very complicated. How am I going to buy a house? I don't even know. Jim, Nancy, we're going to do this in three steps. Next Saturday, I'd like to look at all seven homes. Step one. Step two is if there is a house that you like, I want to plan on making an offer on it. Step three, if they accept that offer, we're going to come up with a timeline. We're going to move you into that house. It's actually a very simple process. That's the third part of your email. You start with the problem, position your product as a solution, then give them a three-step plan. The fourth thing you want to do is paint negative stakes. What negative thing is going to happen if you guys don't buy this house? And really, that's super easy for our real estate agent. They would say, Jim, Nancy, I'm not even going to be able to sleep tonight thinking of you try, you guys <laughs> gathering around a sink in that tiny bathroom and then the potential that Jim is going to be wandering the neighborhood at 2 a.m. You can't live like this. <laughs> then the next paragraph is the positive stakes. However, any of the seven homes that I'm going to show you I believe could qualify as your dream home. I cannot wait till next Saturday. Then it's the call to action. Would you like for me to meet you at your house at 9 a.m. Saturday so we can look at these seven homes? That formula, problem, product, the solution, three-step plan, negative stakes, positive stakes, call to action. That formula is the perfect formula to write a sales email. And here's the thing. It's not coercive. It's not manipulative. It's clear. Now, I've got a tool at smallbusinessflightplan.com. You can actually get into the tool, and you can write in separate boxes each of those six parts, and then you hit click preview, and it will color code the email for you. So the, the red text is your problem. The purple text is your product. The brown text is the bridge. The yellow text is the negative stakes. Blue text is positive stakes. Green text is call to action. And if you got those colors in that order, it's the perfect email. If you send that email, you have a much more high chance of closing that deal. Oh my God. First of all, I was laughing. For those of you who are listening, you can't see that because it's hysterical. And I'm like, the sink, the amount of conviction you had about that sink. I was like, he's going to need to go to onsite because of the sink. Um. But you know, that's empathy, right? I mean, the, the, one of the jobs of the salesperson is to empathize with the pain that the client is experiencing. Don't try to make them feel pain they don't feel. Just empathize with whatever they're doing. Where most real estate agents would have walked in the room and said, hey, you know, mortgage rates are here and I, it looks like you guys have kids. You probably want to. They would assume they know the pain that the person is in without even listening. Right. No, stop. Just stop. Listen, they're going to tell you. So I think just knowing the pain of my audience, and I think it's because a lot of my audience, 91% of them are, are women and they have a lot of empathy and compassion and they also... They never want to do anything bad. And so what happens is they all have, or not all of them, but a lot of them have these like amazing talents or amazing strengths or amazing ideas for businesses. And they don't even begin them because this whole part about like, you know, when you're sending this email and you're being clear, right? There's first of all, a sense of, I can help you, right? Owning that, being confident in that and also at the end where you're saying, you know, these are the high stakes of what will happen if you don't do this. I feel like Donald, where my audience gets a little tripped up is this feeling of who am I to do this? This feeling of like, I don't know if I'm the best person to cut your hair. I don't, I don't know. It prevents them from even beginning. And so much of what you just said, which made it, it wasn't just funny, but it was really great to listen to. There's such like 
there's leadership there. There's clarity there. There's come on, let's go. I've got you. And gosh, how many times a day do I just want someone to come in the room and lead, you know, give me a solution. (laughs) And I feel like if you think what you have is humility, but it's actually imposter syndrome, but you think it's being humble, it's a big problem because it doesn't really let you show up and serve somebody. So I just need to ask you what you think those, those people should, should maybe reconsider. Well, I think there's this belief that men are much more assertive than women and women sure, that's don't definitely have out a there. sort of assertive leadership. You know, my wife and I got married five or six years later, we had a baby without knowing it or saying it. I was probably positioned as more or less the leader in our family. I always say, if you have to explain that you're the leader, you're not. But I would, you know, I was kind of in that position. The second we brought home a baby, wow, flip. <laughs> I was a sous chef. I was an assistant. I was. You've been demoted. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I was the least important person in this house. And I watched my wife with such incredible authority, you know, be able to say what I needed to be doing to serve this ecosystem. And literally, Kathy, I just became the servant. I mean, you know, if the milk wasn't warm enough, I was hiking back to the kitchen to warm up the milk, you know, that sort of stuff. I think what a lot of women need to do is they need to tap into that sort of lioness part within them. And they need to understand that some of your customers, some of your clients need you to actually stand in authority and know what you're doing. Now, if my wife, if my wife spent the next 20 years raising our daughter saying, you know, who am I to be a mom? You know, you would consider that one of the most dark, painful things. Your low self-esteem or your insecurities are not of service to this person's well-being. What we need for you to do is say, well, hey, listen, I may not be the best mom in the world, but you better bet I'm going to try. And I'm going to figure out and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to get this right because this is important. And I think as business owners, you got to understand that there is a matriarchal role to play in the life of your customers and your, your insecurities is of absolutely no service to them. It's of no service to them whatsoever. You need to know what you're doing. You need to have the authority to do it. And you need to say to people, look, if I were in your shoes, this is what I would do about this situation. And my product will do that. And when you tap into that energy, you look at the women who are running multi-billion dollar companies, that's the energy they bring to the table. That's so true. Right? They don't come in and say, hey, look, I'm just trying to survive inside of this meeting and not poke my head out because I don't want to get shot. No, they're saying, look- Hey, I'm not perfect, but everybody in this room really needs to listen to me because I've got something to say. Oh my God. This is literally like I said it before. It's like medicine. I really need to hear this on repeat. And, you know, Mother Teresa, I heard her quoted as saying, it takes a checkbook to run the world. And not only was she famous for being one of the kindest people that walked the earth, she raised some- That's right. Unapologetically. She unapologetically walked into rooms and raised more money than 99% of the venture capitalists that are hanging out in Silicon Valley because she meant business because she was not apologizing for what she was doing. No. Yeah. She was close to the stakes, right? If I don't walk into this room and these people don't write me a check, the person that I was just with yesterday is going to die on the floor of the church that we just dragged them into, right? That's right. Yeah. She had a mission she was tied to that mission and she believed in it even more than I think she believed in herself. So, I mean, this is just so powerful. One thing I want to ask you, you talk about in the book, which is a really good segue from here is the leading the team, right? Because again, one of the things I learned at Onsite, I keep down, Miles is going to hear from me about this. I'm sure he's going to get tons of emails, which is great. But when I went to Onsite, there was all this conversation about codependency and Donald, I was like, I'm not codependent. Like, that's not my thing. I'm not needy, I'm, you know? 
And then I was like, oh my God, I'm so codependent because I want everyone to feel good. I am a pleaser. So I am dependent on making sure everybody's okay. So I was so codependent growing up in my family. I had a father who was an alcoholic. I had a mother who was suicidal and on, you know, mm-hmm. depressed all the time. I was totally codependent, like the savior complex. Well, most of the women that I meet are over-functioners. They over-function. And so once it gets to the point where they start making some money and they have a team to run, they fall apart because setting expectations and knowing how to lead and all of that, you have to set boundaries. You can't be codependent. You just can't. I'm not saying men can't be that way also, but when you talk about leading a team, give us one nugget. What are some of the most crucial things to consider? Well, let me address the the underlying issue that you're talking about here first, and that is the sort of people-pleasing mm-hmm. stuff. You know, this is something I had to learn in order to lead a team, that it had to become less important. You know, I want to say this without making people think I'm giving anybody permission to be a jerk, but when leading a team, it's important that we experience a transition in order to become very good leaders, a transformation, and that is going from trying to be liked. Yeah to desiring to be respected. And it's it's really two different things. It's liking me as I'm one of the group. I'm one of you guys. I'm included. Respected is if this place uh, catches on fire, I'm looking for this guy because he's going to get us out. And, and it's two very, very different things. And we have to work on being respected. And being respected is clear ambitions, clear objectives, clear communication to other people of what those objectives are, and honest feedback about their performance that is gracious and kind but tells the truth. That's what being respected gets. Being liked is telling jokes, getting along. When it's my turn to speak up and confront people, I'm not going to do it because I want to be liked. This is of no service. And you may end up being very, very loved part of that team. That may happen to you. You will not lead it. They will not choose you as a leader and they will not think of you as a leader. And so we have to begin to give up the desire to be liked and embrace the desire to be respected. Similar to a parent. Can you imagine a parent with a five-year-old saying, gosh, you know, if I take that knife out of their hand that they just pulled out of the dishwasher, they may not like me. (laughs) It's absurd, right? You have stepped into a position where people are trusting you to lead them. And we need to step into that with authority mm-hmm. and be more interested in being respected than we are in being liked. I mean, literally everything you're saying, it's, I hear a lot of things on the show that are really powerful and I hear them said different ways and I appreciate them. But some of the things you're saying, I haven't heard. And th- that's like, it, it's so clear. Like you cannot, you cannot choose being liked over being respected as a leader. Right. You just, it's hopefully such a you cost. get both. Hopefully you get both, but I would choose respect over like, if I'm a leader, I'm going to choose that. It's so good. I want to ask you, and we have very little time, and this is why everybody needs to read the book. You've done such a good job of like, everybody's now like, huh, where do I get it? But you mentioned it before. And to me, it's the most, it's the biggest mystery of all, which is marketing, right? Like the biggest mystery for whatever reason to me, it's like, Sales is one thing I kind of get. I kind of get the visibility piece, but that in-between piece, I'm always like, when you talk about identifying your key people and reaching them, I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I grew a big enough podcast that like some of these people are going to come through and by golly, thank God, like that's happened, right? But I feel like that word marketing, there's a lot of bad information out there. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors to it. 
in a couple words, or you know, how do you talk about that in the book? That what are some of the things that we should think about? I think every small business it needs a marketing sales funnel. And a marketing sales funnel is a lead generator that collects email addresses. This can be a PDF. 10 to 12, at least, emails that follow up after somebody opens your lead generator mm -hmm. and downloads it. So they are opting in to the sales funnel. You're not bothering anybody. They are asking you for sure. more information. And you build a relationship over time. And then as soon as you establish trust through these emails, when you ask for them to buy the product, they trust you and they're willing to buy the product. The beautiful thing about a sales funnel is all that can be automated. Yeah. All relationships, all of them, go through three phases. The first phase is curiosity. When we meet somebody, we are curious about them. We are only curious about the people that we meet for one reason, and that's they might be able to help us survive. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a human thing. And it's like this person is kind and nurturing. They can help me survive. This person is wise and knowledgeable. They might be help, help me survive. This person is connected to people. They might help me survive. This person went to school where I went to school. Therefore, they are like me. And we've had similar experiences, which will help us connect, which will help me survive. Your brain is always looking for people that will help you survive. Now, once that curiosity is engaged, we move into phase two of a relationship, which is enlightenment. And enlightenment is when we begin to subconsciously test whether or not this person is actually able to help me survive. So if it's a dating relationship, we go on a few dates and you either say, boy, I thought they could help me survive, but they cannot. <laughs> you know? And I'm going to get out of this and we're not going to be in that relationship anymore. But if we stay in the relationship and we do our due diligence, that's what dating is. That's what experimenting with brands. That's what reading catalogs are. It's due diligence. If we do our due diligence, we say, you know what? I think this is going to work. We move into the final, the third phase of relationships, and that is commitment. And commitment is when you put skin in the game. Mm -hmm. You pull out your credit card or you get down on one knee and you say, will you marry me? That's commitment. And commitment does not come fast. So the reason I say every small business needs a sales funnel is the sales funnel automates the curiosity and enlightenment phases of a relationship. So that when that person now says, I trust you, they're willing to pull out their credit card and make a purchase. So if there's one thing that will double or triple the amount of revenue that you're bringing in, it's a sales funnel. And if you don't have a sales funnel, you have an amazing opportunity to create one and grow your small business. I mean, it's painful to hear it. And it's going to be painful for you on some level, I think, when I tell you. But we've done 700 emails, no opt-ins, never. So I know in the back of my mind, and I'm similar to you in this one way. So I used to be a songwriter. I had a record deal and then I wrote music for TV and films as a composer Very and then cool. got into podcasting because I was like, hey, if you're a creative, you can make an amazing living being a creative. And that's kind of how I started my podcast. Every time I heard anything about online marketing, I felt allergic to it. I was like, no, but I sit with a guitar and I... I write songs for movies and I'm, I'm a creative. And so it kind of stood in my way a lot because here I am then I kind of get why the podcast took off because there's a lot of passion in me and I'm creative and I like to use my voice, but this is something I haven't taught my audience. I haven't talked at all about sales funnels. I've almost been like, that's for those people, you know, who are not creative or somehow like they're, it's not true. It's stupid. Oh, I think creative people. <laughs> I think creative artists make the best marketers. 
if they can just get over it, if they can get over that. Because oh, really right. what creativity is in so many of its forms is composing an experience that another human being can live through, whether they are watching Beautiful. a movie or listening Beautiful. to a symphony. And so when I, yeah, when I read a book, I'm trying to compose an experience that keeps people interested in the book all the way through because I want them not only to be educated, I want them to be entertained. Being entertained is fun. And you can package good content into an entertaining you know, business book and people get more content out of it because it's easier to turn the page. So I think creative people actually can be excellent marketers. The key is to turn off 100% any part of your brain that is trying to do marketing and instead turn on 100% of your brain that is trying to invite people into a story and change their lives and be authentic and totally human about it. If you hate marketing and you don't want to come off as that person, here's a great first sentence for you. I hate marketing and I never want to be thought of as a salesperson. Please forgive me for doing what I'm about to do. But I really think if you struggle with this problem, you should buy this product. Just confess it. Be open. Be honest. And uh, you'll, you'll get you'll get a lot of people responding. Okay, so good. We started and ended with two of the reasons that my audience in particular should be buying this book and learning from you because we are, by and large, there's a lot of creative people here and there's a lot of people with a lot of heart and you, you're our people, Donald Miller, you're our people. So tell us where they can pre-order the book. Well, if you go to Amazon, the book is called How to Grow Your Small Business. And inside the book, there, you know, that tool that helps you color code a sales letter. Yeah, it's amazing. We actually printed one chapter of the book in color. And if you know anything about publishing, you know how incredibly hard that is. I believe that chapter was printed in a different country and had to be shipped to the other book, the rest of the book. That color coded system is explained in the book. And then that tool that you can use is also explained in the book. So the book is called How to Grow Your Small Business. Hopefully it's an entertaining read and uh, it's available right now. I'm so excited. I'm going to make it. I, we do these courses, you know, for many, many people every few months. I'm going to, this should be a textbook. Everybody should be reading this. This should be a required reading. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell everybody also where they can follow you. Where's the best place to join your newsletter or to be a part of your community? Well, follow me on Instagram. You get to meet Betsy and Emmeline and follow all of our really fun adventures. I'm just Donald Miller on Instagram. You're adorable. We'll put everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for all of this. I just got a masterclass. I'm the luckiest person. Loved (laughs) it. Thanks so much. I had a blast. You're the best. Thank you so much. I always love talking with Donald. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, in a moment of hardship, it's up to you to figure out the lesson. You have to take responsibility and own it. Number two, start with your customer's problem. Position your product as a solution to their problem. Give them a three-step plan on how to buy that product. Talk about the negative stakes that will happen if they don't buy it. Talk about the positive stakes that will happen if they do. And finally, just ask them to buy it. If you do those things, you will close sales. Number three, money is not evil. It's just what you do with it. We need to be the sort of people who give money a good name. Number four, you don't want to tell your story. You want to invite people into a story in which they're a hero stuck in a hole and you are the guide that helps them out of that hole. Number five, tap into your inner lioness. Your low self-esteem and insecurities are not of service to your client's well-being. We need you to actually stand in authority. Even if you're not the best, you're going to try and figure it out and get this right. Number six, in order to become a good leader, you have to be more interested in being respected than being liked. And number seven, creative artists make the best marketers. The key is to turn off any part of your brain that's trying to do marketing and instead turn on the part of your brain that's trying to invite people into a story and change their lives. Just be authentic and totally human about it. 
You're really the best. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I really can't thank you enough. There's so many good episodes coming up. So please subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. And please leave us a review because it helps us so very much. If you know someone who would love this episode, maybe you can text it to them or you can share the link with them if you post it on your Instagram. And remember, if you want to join me for three days this June in Florida, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat and find all the details there. I can't wait to see you. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you soon. 